My name is Nathan Kolopek. I am Matthew Morkin. And this is the Veritas Equipping Podcast. Our goal is, especially during this time, to equip you to live out your faith and love Jesus well. Veritas, today we're talking about a topic that, actually Matthew, you brought this up. I think it's going to hit home for a lot of the places in our lives, the secret struggles of life, the stuff we're going through. We're we're unpacking the idea, answering the question, is the gospel actually enough for the hard places of life? Is the gospel like sufficient to deal with struggles in marriage or mental health or finances? Like all of those categories of things that and that can feel like they, they're almost too big to deal with. We as the adult ministry team, but also Matthew, as you're leading gospel shepherding, biblical counseling, we see a lot of this stuff come to us and people asking sort of the question, what's the answer to this, right? How do I deal with these struggles with my marriage? How do I deal with these struggles in my life here? And they feel like they can be overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So today we've got Richard Marceau with us. Richard's on the adult ministry team. Been a pastor for maybe longer than I've been alive. About 100 years. About, yep, okay. How how was Moses? Was he a pretty cool guy? He was a great guy. Great beard, man. (laughs) I've always wondered, what was it like to ride a T-Rex to work? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Matthew, my brother, my friend. Yabba-dabba-doo, let's go. Um, so, So Richard... You've you've seen a lot of counseling situations, shepherding situations, and we want to pick your brain a little bit. One to answer this question: Is the gospel really enough, or is there something else we need to to solve these problems? And then, kind of from there, maybe even begin to unpack like how does this work? Does that sound good? Sounds good. Okay, so first, I want to hear what's your ministry background? Like, where where have you been a pastor before? What's kind of your history? I started in a little country church here in. In Eastern Iowa, 1980, went from there to an urban church out on the East Coast, and then back here to a church in Cedar Rapids for about 20 years. I was able to plant a couple churches in the area, which was a challenge and a blessing, and then here at Veritas for the last four years. Yeah. So multiple contexts. We're talking different geographic contexts, different populations, also multiple generations of, of ministry there. Do you feel like the issues that we're counseling people through or shepherding people through, the stuff people are going through now, is that different than when you started in ministry? No, because sin, and we know the human heart has not changed. Solomon has said, nothing new under the sun. You know, the dairy farmer I worked with in 1980 has the same issues with his dear wife as someone in 2020. So it's just the context, doesn't matter the decade or the, the era gospel speaks. One thing that's, I think, hopeful is that we're more open to talking about some of these things. Yeah, the difference. Yeah. Yeah. It it can be both hopeful, but maybe sometimes it can, like, make the problems feel bigger, like they're everywhere, but just, it's not new problems, but people are just talking about them in a different way. Matthew, have you seen that with categories like mental health, things like that? Absolutely. I mean, I think there's a lot more, especially especially mental health in particular, because there's a lot more liberty to talk about it. There's been a calling to talk about it, to help us gain understanding, to help us know that somebody is struggling and stuff like that. And yeah, the doors are way more wide open uh, in those areas too. I would say even in the last 15 years in particular, it has been, it's been open. Yeah. So Richard, you're saying the issues aren't new and the gospel still speaks that root issue. How would you define the gospel? We use that word gospel a lot at Veritas. I just want to keep defining it so that we don't 
we don't begin assuming that we all are, are saying the same thing. What is the gospel? I think Paul says it straight out in 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ died according to the scriptures. He was raised again according to the scriptures. Many saw him alive. The rest of scripture tells us that we are dead in our sins. Uh, Christ created us perfect in creation. We have chosen to, to fall into that depravity. Every, every man and woman since Adam is a sinner, and we can't get out of that. You can't make a dead person alive on their own. We need help from above and outside, and Jesus Christ spoke into that with his life and his death and his resurrection. And we walk in that newness and we understand that. That is the gospel, and how we respond to that makes all the difference in, in all of life. So it's this good news of what Jesus accomplished. Okay, so Jesus historically lived, died, and rose again, and we go and tell other people that news, and when we accept it, we become Christians. How does this help me deal with the struggle in marriage? Like, how does that actually begin to change the real stuff I'm going through? If I truly believe in the reconciliation of God's only possible through Jesus Christ, then the gospel is a reconciling event between God and humanity. So if that, that is true, then Scripture also says it's a reconciling event with one another. I'm to love God with everything I have and my neighbor, and that applies to anyone close to us, so therefore my spouse, my neighbor, and those close to me in the church and so understanding the impact of that reconciling work has horizontal impact on relationships. So if I'm reconciled to God through faith in Jesus and he's forgiven me, that has to be turned towards those around me. So my spouse needs to experience that reconciliation of love and grace from me. And that is really, in essence, the gospel lived out. Hmm. So you're taking this thing that happened to you, God, like, crossing the boundaries to make you his and then you're taking that and you're kind of just bending that same thing towards other people um so i was trained kind of in secular psychology to address these things they lay that foundation where you come at it from a different angle whereas you have that irreconcilable difference or it seems irreconcilable and in that worldview it really starts off with well you need to do more dishes you know pick up your socks man like just Put them in the hamper. And that stuff has its place. We're not saying that. But in a biblical counseling setting, we're saying like there's a purpose, there's intentionality of why I help with dishes, why I help with socks. But that's secondary. That's secondary. Like we want you to want to help with socks. We want you to want to help with dishwasher. We want you to want to communicate with your spouse. And that's where I think it's it's a deeper level. And so when you go into a situation of just like, I just need to do better. Well, do you want to do better? And if you're like, no, not really. I want to sit on the couch. I want to watch cable. I want to mess around on my smartphone. Uh, like that that's a problem. And so we want to go down to that heart level and remind ourselves of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which motivates us to be gracious to our wife. Uh, you know, especially as men, I always get, I get to be in these conversations with men and that reminder from Ephesians 5, like husbands, Love your wives like Christ loved the church. Well, that is a weighty statement of, of what Christ did for the church. And being a part of the church, I realize how often I ran away from Christ and how often he just 
he is gracious to me. And so um, whether, you know, a wife struggles with, you know, frustration and vice versa, men as well, and, you know, up to an affair or a divorce, you know, there, there's a lot there. And it's just not going to be solved by doing some tasks, you know, there's that deeper level motivation, which the gospel addresses so thoroughly uh, in our lives to love our wives. You're bringing up a really helpful balance that I think, Richard, we've talked about as a team. It's not one or the other, like, just do the socks or, oh, just feel better. But one does come first, right? Like a a heart change and a desire leads to action. You can't separate those necessarily, but one's got to come first. Psychology speaks to the human mind and emotions, and we're made in the image of God even in a fallen state. Those Mm -hmm. are important things. Mm -hmm. But the gospel speaks to the heart, and it's the heart that changes the mind. And controls the emotions in the sense of the gospel. So therefore, I want to sacrifice for my wife because of Christ's work for me. That's a heart change. Therefore, I will do the dishes. I will take out the garbage. I will do these things out of a sense of love and sacrifice for her. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes, even if you're not feeling it, you know your mind has changed where you know, okay, Jesus did that for me. Even if I don't feel it now, I'm going to live like it's true and let my emotions catch up sometimes. Well, and, and on the flip side for the wives, wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, you know? And so there's a issue where you're married to a sinner. Paul Tripp says that so well, like you married a sinner, don't expect a whole lot, right? But the submission part isn't because he's awesome or you don't submit because he's not awesome. It's as unto the Lord. And so both of us are called not to fixate even in our marriage on our spouse and, oh, I just want to make her happy. Oh, I just want to make him happy. That relationship is just, no, Jesus. So I am glorifying Jesus in that interaction with my wife. That's good. And we're, we're talking about marriages a lot because, frankly, this is where we see a lot of those issues come up, right? But it's not that married people are worse or whatever than single people, right. but marriage, you're like put face-to-face with another sinner. And sometimes when you're single, you don't have to deal with that in the same way, but yet there's still that same root heart issue. But Richard, can you turn the corner for us a little bit and, and go, okay, not just my horizontal relationships, how do I deal with my struggles internally in terms of the gospel. So maybe it's, yeah, struggles with mental health. Maybe I, I'm insecure. Maybe I, I just don't like myself or don't feel like I have purpose. Does the gospel go there or is it primarily just this thing for us with other people kind of horizontally? Again, if we mentioned, I think it begins with a heart and the heart is the, is the gospel in our lives um, and that changes our actions. But my identity internally has to be understood as in Christ. You, know, you talk to anyone in counseling psychology, you talk about personal identity, self-esteem, self-worth. That cannot come externally. And we try to do that. We mess up big time. It could be career advancement. It could be I'm going to lord my authority over my spouse. I'm going to do all these things because I'm not sure of my identity. And I think that's the eternal work of the Spirit of God in us to say, no, you are in me. You are in Christ. I am your identity now. And then who you are, I've made you to be. And I have planned these good works for you before the foundations of the earth. I want you to walk in them. Mm-hmm. And I am your identity. That is life-changing in all relationships. Mm-hmm. So identity is hopefully a word, if, if you're tuning in, that we, we've used around Veritas. But yeah, identity is that core set of things that you think and believe about yourself. 
And there's deep roots in that of where are you trying to get that value worth self-understanding? And yeah, Richard, you brought up, I mean, things that have been consistent throughout the decades. Is it trying to get worth from other people? Is it trying to get worth from career success? Is it trying to get worth from um, just puffing up my chest and feeling better about myself? And part of what we're saying is that the gospel isn't opposed to you doing well in your career. The gospel Mm -hmm. isn't opposed to you achieving things in life. But there's something that that Jesus actually provides that those other things could never provide. And this is where, I mean, you're talking anxiety, you're talking depression, you're talking um, just a whole thread of things, anger, you know, grief and stuff. It follows down that thread. And so many of us, I feel like, are trying to manipulate our scenarios, not based off of what is in our heart, our maker, creator, savior, but off of what other people's expectations are and what other people cast upon us. And what other people cast upon you isn't real because it's it they've put it on you. And so when you live sourced in the reality of the identity of Christ in you, like that is where hope lies. You know, and especially Richard, you talked about over 40 years in ministry and seeing that similarity like that's I love that about the gospel is that I have the word of God right here right now I have the truths of God right here right now and it's going to be the same in 2060 that same reality and sin is going to be the ultimately the same but it'll have different flavors and flares and all this stuff but it'll have one answer and that's what I want to cling to the scriptures and the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ in my life we allow our culture and the world to dictate the narrative instead of this book leading out with the narrative. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of that identity and that security we have in our position in Jesus. That's the narrative. Mm -hmm. That's the narrative we speak in their own heart and mind Mm -hmm. first. Don't let other people give us the narrative. Mm. And One thing I just want to head off. Are you guys saying, okay, if someone's struggling with mental health, depression, anxiety, whatever... Don't take medication. Just read your Bible. I was just going to go there. Yeah, okay. Coffee is really good. <laughs> yeah. We're saying, and this goes back to the same, if you're struggling with uh, not accomplishing a lot at work and you need to prod in the rear end, you know, we're saying those things have their place, but they're secondary, not first. The first thing is to go back to your creator, back to your maker. I mean, Richard, you, we have the truth. You just said that, right? We have it. And so often it's one of the last things we do, right? We run to the doctor for physical ailments, for mental ailments. And then and then once we're kind of like, oh man, this might not be good. We call out to our friends and say, pray for us, pray for us, mm-hmm. right? And we don't undergird the trip with prayer and we don't undergird we're you know with biblical truth and our identity in Christ we respond and then we pray mm-hmm. and we're saying there's hope before that so there is a place for those mm-hmm. things totally mm-hmm. if i'm dealing with a brother who's just struggling with midlife crisis and life is panic and what am i going to do i didn't accomplish as much as i needed to there might be a time to be like let's set up a schedule for you let's set up a budget for you let's get you a different job those things are very practical and very necessary but let's not go there first. Hmm. Let's go back to the scriptures and say, you were an image bearer of God before the foundations of the world. God wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life of the mm-hmm. Lamb who was slain. He's given you purpose. Let's let's go for that purpose. And then let's resurrect your energy for your own job and even resurrect your ability to sit down at a table and, and write out and put money in its place. And sometimes answers like medication, things like that, 
can help you get to a place where you can process truth. Yes. But you got to get to the truth. Right. So if you're dealing with the biochemical effects of depression such that you can't get off the couch to read the Bible, let's help with that. But then we got to go to Jesus. So it's kind of, again, a great point. Yeah. It's a virtuous circle where we need a root and a foundation in Jesus. And there might be some brush that needs to be cleared so we can get back there. But clearing the brush doesn't solve it. Getting to Jesus solves it. Richard, can you take us practical as we're kind of heading towards the end of our time together? How do we begin to apply these things to our own lives or to our community together? I think having a rhythm of quietness is so key, especially in the social media age when there's reactionary speech and thoughts, you know, and we're, we don't have that time alone with God. I mean, I survive on that as busy as life gets. And sorry to tell you, gentlemen, it's going to get busier. <laughs> it doesn't slow down. You know, there's just more people you know, more people to love, more broken people. Mm-hmm. Your family grows, you have grandkids. Just, you, know, you continue to speak into people's life with the gospel. Mm-hmm. And I survive on quiet time. Mm-hmm. I'm just sitting with this book, regaining that narrative, regaining that perspective, mm-hmm. turning off media, making sure that I can focus in on who I am before God and what I need to do this day, this moment, this morning. Mm-hmm. And this book dictates that to me. Mm-hmm. And I think so many people are caught up in just speed. And maybe a quick verse at, you know, at the coffee counter in the, in the morning. That's not enough, in my opinion. There has to be sit down, kneel down time of saying, I need to begin this, this day with God mm-hmm. and in his word. That fuels the strength for the day. I had a really great mentor who worked with a college ministry out in the East Coast. We would go visiting guys on campus, and he would just break out in prayer. He's driving. His relationship with God was just that close to him. Just turning the corner, you know, going into the dorm parking lot. Lord, just help us be a, a light in a dark place today. Mm-hmm. Give us just good grace and love for these guys we're going to talk to. I love being with Richard. This is going to be a good night. He's got bad breath, so here's some gum. <laughs> so let's walk into the dorm and let's just talk about Jesus. That natural, mm-hmm. and that's always been a model to me, to have that kind of relationship with Jesus every day, to speak it out, talk with him, be in conversation. Mm-hmm. That helps us keep our, our spiritual narrative primary. Mm-hmm. And if you've got somebody in community with you, so say maybe you're in connection group and another couple confesses their, their marriage is on the rocks, or maybe someone confesses, man, I've just got this... Mm-hmm. Um, insecurity that seems to be running my life. What do, what do we do for other people then? If we're kind of like having our quiet time, that kind of thing, but we hear about people that we care about in, a, in the family of Christ, what do we do for them? I begin to ask about their schedule. Just t- tell me from morning to night, what's your schedule look like? Before I even they get one sentence in, they realize we're too busy. Tell me your schedule. What's what's going on? Where Where is that time for your walk with God. Do you have to do those those things every single day? What can you adjust in your day? So that's the practical part, I think, of, of shepherding and discipling is to help people understand, yeah, they can make choices. They've added stress. I do that. Nancy and I do that. We get, what's happening to our week? We can't, we don't have the strength to do all this. So why are we trying? We have to pull back and say, that's not that important. This is. So just talking through that with mm-hmm. a with a couple is a very practical way, helps them see that they they can change those patterns. Mm-hmm. And there's things that are, are good. The, the, the good things are the enemy of the best. Mm-hmm. 
Charles Hummel said one time. We don't have to make choices of bad things. We're not choosing to go shoot ourselves up in a corner versus go to church. I mean, it's like all these good things that we have in life that are really quality things we have to determine. Are they the best for me, the mm-hmm. best for my marriage, best for my family? Mm-hmm. And make the space to pick the best things of founding ourselves on the gospel and our, on our identity. So friends, we hope for you tuning in, you feel more equipped to understand that the gospel really is the answer to the deepest needs in our lives. And we know that, and we're not just in the sin management business, but God is actually in the reconciliation and heart renovation business. So as you begin to apply the grand storyline of scripture of Jesus' redemption to yourself, to your identity, uh, we encourage you get a Bible, get a reading plan and start in that and get some community who will keep speaking that to you. And as you engage with other people, go there in life. But yeah, we we don't go there to tell them, man, we've got the seven steps to get there, but make some space to actually let God speak his truth through his word to your soul in a way that changes you. We love you. Thanks for tuning in. And we hope you feel more equipped to apply the gospel to the hard places of life. Thanks. (music) 